How we doing this Sunday? Doing well? Yes! I like that feedback. Yeah! What a great day, huh? What a great weekend. Great time to be here in Kearney, Nebraska. How about those KHS Bearcats? I know I'm excited for Tuesday night. So excited for those guys as they get to play down at Memorial Stadium on Tuesday evening. Bring back the state championship. I'm claiming it in the name of Jesus. <laughs> It, it is a great, great weekend here. Who got a chance to be a part of the Compassion Experience? Raise your hand. We still have two more days, okay? See a couple hundred here. I'm sure at least a hundred over in the venue. We have two more days today and then to tomorrow you're welcome to go, go through the Compassion Experience. What a fantastic experience though that is. It's free of charge right here in the parking lot. I encourage you to do that today. You don't even have to sign up. You can just well walk over there today or tomorrow. Uh, but this is a, a fun weekend for us as a church. Between that and our celebration Sunday supper though this evening, we'll have baptisms and just be a, a great, great evening together. You know, every church and every community has its own little culture. You know that? Doesn't matter where you go, every church and every community has its own little culture. And my wife, Susie, and I have been here a little over two years we came from the Denver metro area, and when we first got here, we didn't think it would take us long to learn the culture that is Kearney, Nebraska, and we were wrong. Our, our heads were spinning for the first several months. It's amazing to me how different cultures can be just across state lines. Have you noticed that? Just across 400 miles, it's amazing how different cultures can be, and we love this culture here. But during those first few head-spinning months, uh, my friend Sarah Staples, our director of, of, of women's ministries, uh, shared, shared with me, uh, she's also a transplant from the Denver area, now a proud Nebraskan like me, but she, she shared with me, Adrian, you need to learn the three H's of Nebraska. And I said, well, what's that? What's the three H's, Sarah? Now you got me interested. And she said, Adrian, you got to learn hunting, harvest, and huskers. <laughs> and if you learn these three H's, you'll have a good start. And uh, man, we have been so grateful to celebrate hunting and harvest the past couple of years. And, and, and tell, I'm telling you, we're looking forward to celebrating that third age. We are looking forward to celebrating Huskers in the next years, too. The last couple of years, hunting and harvest have been great. Now, as we got to know the culture a little bit better over the following months, it became clear that while that was a good start, there's much, much more. And, and this is a special culture in so many ways. I mean, when we first got here, we, we'd be driving down the street and people waved to us. Who are you waving at? Do I know you from church? And no, they didn't. Like Nebraska nice is real. People are nice. I, I love that about this culture. This is a hardworking culture where people chip in and, and they, they just help where it's needed. And uh, this is a culture that values substance over style, which is really good for a guy who's got no style. <laughs> you know, this is a wonderful culture. And as we've gotten to know this culture more and more, and especially here in this church, it's like, my, what an array of ministries that are happening here. And we're building a transformational community together that is devoted to loving God and loving all others in the name of Jesus. And, and we're seeing this vision become a reality where every person matters. And we're not 100% there, but 
through uh, Bible studies and women's ministries, men's ministries, youth ministries, the body of Christ is being built up, isn't it? And through community groups, life groups, and, and care ministries, people are finding community. And communities of context fought for life change and, and different outreaches, well, with the health care clinic in town and storehouse and others. We're reaching our local community. But after we hear for about six, seven months, I, I realized there, there are one or two things that are missing from this church culture. And so I dug down a little bit, and the more I dug, the more I realized that, that yeah, I was, I was right. My suspicion was correct. There's, there's a couple things, as, as great as we're doing as a church, there are a couple things that are vital to who we're supposed to be as the church of God under Christ that, that are missing. And they're not optional. These are things that Jesus says are absolutely mandatory. Turn with me to Matthew 25, and we're going to look at one here together this morning. Matthew 25, in the New Testament. This is the very first book of the New Testament. If you're not sure where it is, that's fine. God's given us a table of contents. and We can use that too. But Matthew 25 is at a time where Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's about to be taken to that old rugged wooden cross. And he's preparing them for his coming death and his departure from this earth. And as he's preparing them, he gives them an explanation that um, when I come back in glory to make all things right, I'm going to bring judgment with me. And the people on the right, they're going to be like the sheep uh, that followed me. They didn't just talk about it, they did it. They actually followed me. They were legit. And there's another group of people on the left, not in this room, but on the left. And, and they, they look the part, but they don't act the part. They talk the part, but they don't act the part. They're actually goats. They look like sheep, but they're phonies. And he's going to go ahead and explain why and how you can determine who are the sheep by the fruit that we see in their lives. So with that, Matthew 25, verses 34 through 40. You can follow along on the screen or in your Bible. Join me here. Then the king, that is Jesus, well, when he returns, the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes? And clothe you. When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king, this is Jesus, at his return, will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, I tell you the truth, you did it for me also. I don't know about you, every time I read that passage, I am cut to the very core of my being. Because he goes on after that passage to say, whatever you did not do for the least of my brothers and sisters who I placed in front of you, I tell you, you didn't do it for, for me. 
for Jesus. He's saying the proof is in the pudding. This is one of those passages, though, that just wrecks me every single time I read it. And if you haven't read it in a while, I'd encourage you to read all of Matthew 25, even though this afternoon, and just ask the question, like, am I doing this? As I've had to ask the question, is the super blessed church that I am a part of, that for some reason God in his sovereign grace has chosen to give me an opportunity to help lead, are we doing it? Are we feeding those who are actually physically hungry? Giving clean water to those who are thirsty? Clothing those who are naked? And and Adrian, where? Where? And and how, Adrian? As you know, I've spent some time over the past six, eight months also studying our church history. And man, we have a great church history. 119 years, we are so blessed here. And uh, all kinds of great initiatives across our church history, church plants, and just amazing work. And we developed a, a great church history video that we showed here a number of weeks ago. And hopefully you got a chance to see that. If you didn't, you can find it on Facebook or at carneyefree.com. And it, it portrays some of the ways that God has sovereignly intervened in our church's history to bless us and to save us and to help us. Even when occasionally, well, we got off of our rails and uh, one of the things that I learned as, I, as I've studied church history is we used to have a great missions emphasis here at this church. 20 years ago, there was this amazing missions emphasis to Romania. But for the past 20 years, something's happened such that um, if we were to be asked, where is Carney E. Free, the super blessed church, making a dent for the kingdom of God outside of America? In some other area where Jesus is less known or perhaps has never been heard at all and we were to be asked, where is that place? I'm not sure that I would be able to answer. And so as I've been wrestling with that over these past months and really the past year or so, I come in contact well with another passage. Though This one's from Acts chapter 1. If you turn over there to the right, about 100 pages. Acts chapter 1 is after the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you come to the book of Acts. And whereas Matthew 25 though, that we just read is Jesus saying, this is well, what's going to happen. I, I'm going to come in my glory and I'm going to judge the, the living and the dead. Here's Jesus saying in Acts chapter 1, it's during his resurrection, he's about to ascend to heaven. And as he's about to ascend to heaven, he gives these final words to his disciples But before he goes to heaven. In both cases, there's some of his final words. You listen to a man's final words, don't you? Okay. Acts 1 says this. Then they gathered around him and they asked him, that is the disciples, gather around him in the upper room and they asked Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you going to do what you said you were going to do back in Matthew 25? To separate the sheep from the goats and to give us the kingdom now that we've been waiting for. To restore the kingdom to Israel. And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. In other words, that's not your concern. Don't worry about when Jesus is coming back. Worry about living for him today. Okay? That's not your concern. Instead, he goes on to say, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. And so once again, as you, as you read a passage like this, this is 
Last words of Jesus before he then ascends to heaven. He goes ahead, he goes up to heaven, now sits to the right hand of the Father. He gives the Holy Spirit to the disciples to go plant the church and build the church, which he gives to us as well. The Holy Spirit that we would go advance the church, advance the kingdom. And he says, I give you the Spirit, you'll be my witnesses, I'll give you power, and you are to be my witnesses in these places. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. Let's break that down to our own context, okay? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my my witnesses in Jerusalem. Well, where's Jerusalem? For us, Jerusalem is Kearney, okay? Kearney and Axtell and Amherst and Gibbon and the surrounding areas around here. That's our Jerusalem. That's where God has fundamentally called for us to make a difference, here, starting here. And then Judea is like Nebraska. That's area that is culturally similar, may not be exactly where you live, but the whole of this area close to where we live, culturally similar to us. Samaria in the first century would be a place that's within the same empire, within the Roman Empire, but it's culturally different. Do we have a place like that in our ministries? Yeah, Chicago, right? In Chicago, we have a wonderful ministry with Circle Urban Mission and the rock of our Salvation Church for the past 28 years, I believe, that we've been sending teams up there, and they've been sending teams here, and they're culturally different. And we're doing urban ministry there, but all part of the United States kingdom, if you will, kind of like the Roman kingdom back then. Not comparing apples to apples, but, but you get what, what I'm saying here, okay? Culturally different, but, but within the same nation, the same land. So we're doing all of these, and I think God would be pleased with all that we're doing there. But then I come to this final line that Jesus says, I expect you, my witnesses, to go to the very ends of the earth. And I've had to just put some question marks next to that. And ask where? Where is the ends of the earth for us? A carne e free, and how? How are we doing this, fulfilling Jesus' mission. And as pastor here, I've had to wrestle with that. Where are you pursuing the least and the last and the lost in the name of Christ? Well, fast forward with me, if you would, to February of 2017. And I don't mean to be so autobiographical here, but I have the microphone. February 2017, I had a wonderful opportunity to go to Ecuador with a number of other pastors and uh, go there with an organization that you've seen as you came in here though this morning called Compassion International. And I've been there for, for a few days now in Ecuador. And it was an easy flight down there through Grand Island to Dallas. And then we've been there for, for a few days. And on this particular day, we hopped off of the bus into an urban village outside of a large city named Guayaquil. And after we hopped off the bus, well, we saw this beautiful church, though, that you see up on the screen that was just recently built, recently completed just two or three months before we got there. And as we see this beautiful church, it's raining outside, but it's warm inside. There's two or three hundred people, though, that greet us and welcome us to come into their church, mostly kids, but many mothers as well, and a few fathers, many mothers and kids, and they welcome us into their church, and they're so excited to show it to us. It's a kitchen and a church all built together where the kids get meals every day. 
and we go in and they start a presentation and a pastor takes a microphone and this gentleman who's speaking here is actually more of a bishop. He's been responsible for planting 10 or 11 churches around this region and then pouring into 10 or 11 other pastors to help them lead on the ground. And so he starts to speak and he provides a special gift for these two pastors that came from San Diego, but because they were responsible for funding and then building the, this church in this village where we're now meeting. And just a couple years before that, they had been responsible for helping their church sponsor 190 kids to be sponsored in this community where there was no lighthouse. And now there is a lighthouse. Now there is a church that's testifying to the name of Jesus in this community. They're getting medical checkups and meals every day and families are coming to, to worship. And this used to be a community that was characterized by drug violence and really run by drug lords and still the drug lords are there but now they have hope. Now there's hope because there's a city on the hill in their community that serves as a community center and as a church and as a place to, to get meals. It's a place of hope, a place of refuge for them. And so we got to go in and the kids begin to do a little presentation, do a number of Bible songs and um, little skits and, and they had a number of Bible verses that they had memorized together. And at one point the, the kids bring together uh, these two halves of a heart. And you have on one half the Ecuadorian flag and the other half the United States flag. And it's like this great kumbaya moment as they bring these together and they're singing songs and singing praise of their American pastors who have come to visit them. And it's just a really, really sweet time. We finished that off with going outside and playing with some kids. You'll see me playing Ring Around the Rosie well with a number of kids. And I, I got down on my knee and painted some girls' fingernails. That was a first for me with two boys. Great experience, so much fun. But really the highlight of this particular day was taking this one-mile hike from the church into a home of a woman named by Karina. Her name was Karina. We took about a mile hike to, to Karina's home through the village, and when we got to her home, she was happy to show us the home that she was proud of. It was probably seven feet by eight feet. Four people lived there. She and her two kids slept in one bed. Her mother slept in another on the other side. And she showed us the home, and she shared that she was one of the fortunate ones because she had electricity. And uh, we asked some of her story, and uh, she explained that she has a new hope now because her daughter is being sponsored by a family in San Diego through Compassion International. And uh, she has a renewed hope that she's never had. And her son is also getting to experience some of this. And one of the translators asked this woman if she was a Christian. And she said, no, I'm, I'm not a Christian. This is all new to me. I, I have never heard this message, but I'm interested, and I'm learning, and I can't believe all the things that, that my daughter is learning through the Compassion Center and through the church, and it's so exciting, and, and I get to go volunteer at the Compassion Center. I get to go down there and help prepare meals to serve a healthy, nutritious meal to my daughter each and every day. I get to be a part of this even though I'm not yet a Christian, she said, and it turns out she works a couple days a week to keep food on the table. Uh, cleaned some businesses downtown. And we asked a little bit more of her story, and she, she explained that her boyfriend beat her and then left her recently with the two kids. And then to add insult to injury, when he left, he stole her hot plate, which was her means for providing warm meals to her kids. 
we had a police officer in our group who was previously, he was previously a police officer, now he's a pastor, and he interrupted her story by asking, what's his name and where is he? <laughs> That's right, yeah, buddy. <laughs> uh, she went on to continue to tell a bit of her story, and uh, we asked her how we could pray for her. And she said, would you pray for me to find a mentor through the church? I need a friend. And would you pray for my tin roof, that someone would come help, my, help fix my tin roof? Every single time it rains, the, the wind blows up and the water comes through the roof and our bed gets drenched. So would you pray for help with that? And we said, oh, of course, we'll pray for that. And another one of the pastors read to her from Matthew 5, which says, blessed are the poor in spirit. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. And I read to her from Psalm 139 that you, Karina, are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are not an accident to God. You are known by God, created by God. He knows all of your thoughts before one of them comes to be, all of your actions before one of them comes to be, and he's got a great purpose and a great plan for your life, Karina. And she wept. She hadn't heard this news. And we prayed together and asked God for her two prayer requests. And we hugged and we wept. And then we took a few pictures together with her family before we took that mile hike back to the Compassion Center and church. And Karina, where she volunteers, uh, went to the kitchen and she started to prepare meals for the kids and for the pastors as well. At which time I became a puddle to be served by this woman who's living off $2 a day and is delighting to serve me a meal. Well, a few days later, I'm now back in, in Dallas sitting in a posh airport coffee shop with my latte in hand. And uh, I say to God, why? Why does Karina have to live this way? Why do masses of people, billions with a B, live this way? Why, God, why do you allow this? Ever ask that question? And I was reminded in that moment the same verse that I began with uh, this morning. Why, Adrian? Come, you who are blessed by my Father. For I was hungry, and you, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you personally clothed me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. So Adrian, don't sit there saying, why? You who have been blessed with more Bibles than you could possibly know what to do with, Adrian. Don't sit there saying, why? You have been blessed with more knowledge than you could ever use, Adrian. Don't sit there saying, why, when you've been blessed with more finances than you know what to do with. Get out and live generously for the least, the last, and the lost. Don't sit there with your latte in hand, cursing the darkness. Go out and light a candle, Adrian. 
And in my journal that day, this holy discontent just percolated and bubbled up to the surface, and it crystallized into a number of emails and then into a journal that I wrote down. I opened up my journal, and I just wrote this, well, which you'll see up on the screen. By 2020, we here at Carney E. Free will fund and plant a church and a community that is accessible to Carney and largely unreached for Christ. This will be a church-wide effort that invites multiple levels of involvement. In the name of Jesus, we will ask God to help us alleviate spiritual and economic poverty. It just came to me. This is what we have to do. It's not right that we don't have something internationally for the least, the last, and the lost that we're doing. And let me tell you, in the sovereignty of God, while I was in Ecuador being wrecked by God, at the very same time, our global outreach team and Pastor Brian Klein was meeting with a missions expert through our denomination, and they were going through a missions profile, trying to narrow down our missions vision for the long term, and they heard together just about the same thing that you see up there. They heard together while I was in Ecuador, here in Kearney, Nebraska, that what we need to do is develop a mission that enables us to make a dent in one area of the world that would be accessible to us from Kearney, that doesn't take us two days to travel there, that would still be open to the gospel. That means government authorities have not closed it down, as is the case in many nations around the world that still has a need for authentic gospel witness and would provide opportunity for multiple levels of involvement from different kinds of people, different ages and stages of life, English and Spanish, all different incomes coming together for this purpose, to to make a dent in one place, to light a candle in one area of darkness. So the question now that I come to you today, which is probably leading to the least kept secret in all of Kearney, Where's that one place we're going? Anyone? Colombia. Magange, Colombia. It's getting hot in here. Oh, man. Uh, anyone else feeling hot? Oh, baby. We going to Colombia. And this is the first, last, and only time that I'll ever take off my shirt on stage. I promise. It starts today. It starts today, and we're going to give you an opportunity today. Many have already taken it over the course of this weekend. We're going to give you an opportunity today to fulfill Jesus' mandate here to the least, the last, and the lost. And the vision here over the coming years looks like this up on the screen. Starting today, we are seeking to sponsor 150 to 200 kids in and around Magange, Colombia. Some of us will sponsor kids right there, others in the regions around it. But 150 to 200 kids in this region, that we will send a short-term missions trip to Magange in July of 2018 to do a fact-finding mission and to visit the kids that we've sponsored and perhaps do an initial project. Then we'll fund a project center, a church for school-aged children. We'll plant a church for school-aged children and their families, perhaps reaching five or six 700 people, maybe a thousand people in a single community that don't yet have the gospel. Of Christ. We're going to do that by 2019, by the end of 2019. And each and every year, this can become part of our DNA, part of the fabric of what it means to be Carnegie free, that we're going to make a dent in a community as multitudes feel like they're involved in one way or another. And each year, perhaps 10 or 12 or 15 or 20, go down to Magange and engage in a mission trip to sponsored kids and assist that community. And that begins today. 
with an opportunity to sponsor a child at just $38 a month. You sponsor a child, and through that sponsorship, well, what you do is get an opportunity to proclaim the gospel to one child and one family. And you get an opportunity to serve those who are hungry, who are thirsty for clean water, who oftentimes need clothing, who need the basic subsistence that we couldn't imagine needing. This isn't a burden. It's not a have to. It's a get to. It's a want to. It's a recognition that God in his grace has made us rich. That through Jesus, that when we were poor, Jesus who was rich came down from heaven to earth to make us rich. And through his riches, he intends that we would be a conduit of warmth to others. That we are, as it says from the very beginning in Genesis 12, we are blessed, not for our own good, but we are blessed to be a blessing to others. Isn't that so? That God prospers us not to hold on to it, but prospers us to bless others who have great need with the cause of Christ. That God makes us rich that we would bless others. Write this down if you're taking notes today. Gratefulness leading to generosity is the natural response to the gospel. Gratefulness leading to generosity. Last week we talked about gratefulness. This morning we're talking about generosity. These two words encapsulate the natural response to the gospel of Christ. That we understand how much Jesus has given for us. That when he was ultimately rich, the gold of heaven, he becomes poor for us. That wells up in us a spirit of generosity, a spirit of gratitude. That leads to a thanksgiving that lasts way beyond this season. Amen? To know all that Jesus has done for us, that leads to generosity and gratefulness. That God has made me rich spiritually and through the spiritual riches that he has given he intends not for me to be a stopper but a conduit of his love that God has made me rich physically and financially and through his many blessings he intends for me not to be a stopper of those blessings but a conduit of his love now please hear me this morning but please hear my heart as a pastor as your pastor I will never ask you to do something that I would not do myself. Never. I would never do that. I've been involved with Compassion International sponsoring kids for 20 years, since I was 20 years old. When I was a college student, I didn't have money, any money. God put it on my heart that I needed to cobble together a few bucks a month and find out a way to not go out to eat as much and sponsor a kid. And I was blessed to sponsor a little girl from Haiti by the name of Erla Lalore. And for the next 15 years, as I got to sponsor her until she eventually phased out of the program, Erla blessed me more than I could ever bless her. And that $35 a month, I promise you, I got more out of that than I ever could have got by spending that money on myself. Our family currently sponsors three kids, two in Sri Lanka and one in Colombia. And few things give me more joy as a papa than to hear my boys pray for Ron John, Deduno, and Juan Manuel. For them to pause almost every night. I think they pray for their three sponsored kids more than they pray for their mom and dad. And hear them pray for these kids. And to see in their hearts a development of a care for the world. A passion for the things of God. As opposed for the greedy things of man. A passion 
for the world. To see that developing in a six and ten year old, I can't tell you how much that blesses the heart of this father. I've always loved compassion, but when I went to Ecuador nine months ago, and I saw the work of compassion for Karina, and I saw the work that they do in church planting, I went from loving this ministry to zealously loving this ministry, which you're now seeing. I have a zealous love for this ministry, but because it's so profound the way they make a difference. It's been proven by research, secular research, to make a difference in the lives of kids that you sponsor. Let, let me explain to you the four C's of compassion, Well, which you can see is outside this door as well. But the four C's of compassion that make this such a, a special ministry. The first one is Christ-centered. Christ-centered. Compassion is a Christ-centered ministry. They've had many opportunities to dilute the gospel, and they never have. It's a ministry that teaches your kids that you sponsor the gospel each and every day. If you sponsor a kid, they're going to get 410 hours of discipleship a year. You know how many hours of discipleship our kids get through our church a year? Not 410. They're seeing 500 kids make commitments for Christ every day all over the world. It's a church-based ministry. Their ministry goes through the local church It's empowering to a local pastor, and it builds up a local community through the local church. It's child-focused. There's a special focus on kids with diseases and disabilities. There's a special focus on building kids up. It's not merely a feeding ministry. It is that, a feeding ministry, but also provides medical checkups and academic help. And most importantly, it teaches kids that they are made for a purpose by God, and it's not to become drug dealers. That God has a purpose for them as well. He has a plan and a purpose for their lives. And that through the gospel of Christ, he's going to see it through. And then finally, it's committed to integrity. It's so careful financially. I love this quote from Wes Stafford, who was the former executive director of Compassion. He, He notes that the church is a benevolent and generous group of people. Friends, that's our church. Our church is a benevolent and generous group of people. But so much of the church all over America and all over the world is skittish, particularly right now, because the truth is many in the church feel like they've been hoodwinked way too many times. I want you to know that between Brian and the outreach team and myself, we've done our homework, and 82 cents on the dollar goes directly to the kids that you sponsor and the programs that support them. This is not a handout. This is a hand up. In the name of Jesus, for the glory of God, that a child will be helped for time and for eternity. I want to introduce you to one family who's recently got back from El Salvador, and they've recently visited their three compassion kids there, Scott, Kimberly, and Constance Stober. Take a look. I'm Scott Stober, and this is my wife, Kimberly, and my daughter, Constance, and um, we, I think we figured we'd been involved with Compassion for over almost 27, 28 years now. And we can't even remember how many, how many kids we have total. But um, we, just, we basically just recently went to El Salvador to visit our Compassion kids. And that we, have, we currently have three. We have a 20-year-old uh, young man named Noe and an 18-year-old uh, woman or young lady named... Uh, Brenda, and then a nine-year-old, Melissa. This is the first time, yeah, that we met them, and uh, our first time being in El Salvador. And uh, um, but we just we just wanted to connect with them. We 
we saw that there was going to be a compassion trip to El Salvador, and we, we just wanted to, to meet our kids. But it was kind of interesting to see the, um, just all the things that compassion does for them through the, the child development centers. It's amazing because you actually get to meet them and they're not just on a card. You actually know that they're real and that they have a life and they're exactly like you. And they, they just love you and it's awesome. I just didn't realize the impact you can have on a child's life by supporting them financially and then writing to them. Um, we have written letters, but not always as consistently as I would have liked to have. But um, just having gone and hearing the Compassion staff and others talk to us about how impactful a letter is from someone who has an interest in them, who cares about them, who um, believes in them, because they are not spoken to or they aren't encouraged in ways that make them believe in themselves or believe there's a purpose and a plan for them and that there's hope for them and that they can have a future that is um, different than maybe their family has at the, at the present time. The words that you can speak into a child's life when you write a letter can make a huge difference for a child. I like it just because they make a one-on-one -on -one connection. You know, a lot of organizations just throw your money into a pot and you have no idea where it goes. But with compassion, your money goes to that child. You know, that child gets gifts from you directly. Um, and it, it's, just, it's just a direct relationship. And you do what we did is go down and, and actually meet them. I think the best thing about compassion, too, is it's, it's not just... Um, focused on one thing. It's, it's spiritual, it's educational, um, they provide medical care, they provide dental care, um, you know, tutoring, meals, uh, one meal a day. Um, so, you know, it's just kind of holistic in their approach. I, it's really the best, most well-rounded ministry I, I've seen to, to children. Yeah, Brenda, um, she, she doesn't smile much. You know, we. Um, I think it, I don't know the pictures we've gotten over the years. You know, just wasn't really smiling much. And even when we were there, uh, you know, they were trying to get her smile for pictures and stuff like that. And and we were just able to hug and you know tell her we really loved her. And she just she she actually she started crying, kind of showed some emotion, and I, I just held her as long as as long as I thought it was appropriate and um, you know but I, I just I don't think she was getting you know much love at home and it's just mom's I'm sure is working and didn't have much time and um, so you know I just felt like we were able to connect pretty powerful isn't it Allow me, if you would, to get really practical for today and tonight. Normally on our Celebration Sunday, what we do is uh, take a large offering, and everyone gives the money that they can, sometimes a couple hundred dollars or a thousand dollars or whatever, and, and we, we pull it into a single pot. And then we give it to a community agency that has need, or a mission agency that, that has need, or maybe even a ministry here in the church. Tonight when you come to Celebration Sunday, we won't do that. 
we're not going to take any offering. We're going to celebrate a great turkey dinner. We're going to have an awesome tribute to a wonderful family. We're going to uh, celebrate baptisms. We're going to have worship. Uh, But we're not going to take any offering. Instead of taking an offering of cash this year, we're gathering a community of children. We're gathering a community of children from one little village in one area of Columbia unto this village called Kearney Ephraim. And we're going to bless them for the years to come. And I want to encourage you, well, when you leave today, to go out into the lobbyway. And there's three different areas, though, that you can get a little packet. And the little packet describes a child uh, that is ready to be sponsored in and around Magangay, Colombia. And our prayer, our hope is that 150 to 200 people will be sponsored through this weekend. And already to this point, we've had 50 kids sponsored over this weekend. Over this weekend and with our leaders, our elders, our staff, our outreach team leaders have already sponsored 23 themselves, and you'll see their pictures up on the screen here. But our hope is that after today, we'll have as many as 200 kids from this region sponsored. And you're going to have this little temptation, well, when you go out to the lobby and you pick up one of those packets, you're going to have a temptation to overthink it. Like, I started to think, how much raising canes am I going to have to give up? That's overthinking it. That's a mini little sacrifice to impact a child for time and for eternity. Don't overthink it. You might say, well, I don't know if this is the right one or that's the right one. That's okay. You don't need to know. Part of the adventure is to walk with this child for the next five or six or ten years, or however many years God would give you to partner well with this child as they continue to grow. That's part of the adventure is just take a step out in faith into the unknown and say, God, I'm going for this, and I can't wait to invest in this child, yes, financially, but far more than that, relationally over the coming years. Now, God might be leading some of you to sponsor two or three or four kids. Some of us have been blessed with that kind of financial means. By all means, feel free to do that. For others in this room, you won't be able to sponsor any right now, and that's just fine. Jesus said, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. It has nothing to do with what anyone else notices around here. There's no judgment, there's no pride, there's no shame, there's no glory to man, only glory to God, okay? As we go out and we look for this, we're looking for an opportunity to go before God and say, God, all praise to you as I get an opportunity to make a difference in one child's life for good. And if now is not the right time, that's just fine. There is no judgment whatsoever about that. We're simply responding to the gospel of Christ, responding to the magnificent generosity of God, saying, God, I want to be about what you're about. I want to... Have my heart broken by the things that break your heart to make a difference in this world. And just imagine, just imagine, if 200 of our families here at Carney Ephraim sponsor 200 kids in Colombia, and every year we're sending down 15 or 20 people to do short-term mission projects there in that community. And perhaps some year we could bring the pastor up here and get to know him in this environment And we look for different ways that we can bless them. And it's a multi-level effort across Spanish congregation, an English congregation, across every different demographic in our church body. And a couple years from now, we plant a church in that community that we can go visit as well. Just imagine if that happens. 
in the coming years. Might we actually light a candle in that darkness? Might we make a dent in the dominion of darkness and a mark for the kingdom of the Son of God? Friends, that's what we're after today. We all have an opportunity, whether you're involved in prayer or you're involved in sponsoring a child, I encourage you to be involved in one way or another. This is part of our vision as a church, so uh, would you pray with me now? Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you for your generosity to us through Christ. We know the centerpiece of the gospel is your great love to us through Christ, that when we were poor, you made us rich. When we were poor spiritually and we could never bring ourselves to God, you sent your son Jesus who was rich and became poor for our sake that we might become rich unto you. Thank you, God, that you've given us so much. Thank you, God, that you've given us a foundation for a thanksgiving that will last beyond this week even as we remember the, the kindness, the mercy, the love, the graciousness, the gospel of Christ. And now, Lord, we respond with one voice saying, God, would you build your kingdom here? Would you build your kingdom here in Kearney, Nebraska? Would you build your kingdom in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the very ends of earth, even Magange, Colombia, until all the world knows that Jesus Christ is Lord, in whose name we pray.